It's Not Your Turn. It's the name of the new book from Heather Thompson Day, and here's a summary in just about 30 seconds. First, you have to come to grips with sometimes it's not your turn. You have to cheer on others when they're getting their turn. But while you're waiting for your turn to come, it's an opportunity to practice in smaller spaces before God can bring you to bigger spaces. And the fact that Jesus had to die as a man but yet shows up as a baby tells you all you need to know about a God of process and time and patience. So as you prepare, you can think small, set goals, network. Then if you've done the hard work and you still are afraid to move on, do the five-second rule. Count from five to one and then move. Now, if you want to go a little deeper, Heather Thompson Day is here in the 30-second book club. And Heather, it feels like this is something that you lived out yourself. It was totally personal, something that I lived out, dreaded, and experienced and crawled through for about seven years. And uh, so as you're going through this, I think a lot of people would say, okay, it's not my turn. Maybe a lot of people feel that way, especially maybe with the last year and a half with with COVID and everything. It just kind of, it put all of our lives on pause. And so at the very beginning of the book, you talk about um, how we can uh, clap for others when they're going through uh, good times. And, you know, how do we do that when it's so easy to be just be jealous of other people's success? How do we overcome that and actually be happy for them? So in the book, I tell this story how I was trying to get a job in academia. I was adjuncting, if anybody knows that struggle. So I was teaching for like five different universities. You're standing in front of students and you're dressed up and you're teaching the lecture and they don't know you're not full time. Right. So I was pretending to be something. And on the inside, I knew that I really fully wasn't in the way that I wanted to be so poor that at this time, my sister is sending she's dropping diapers off on my doorstep Mm. and then pretending that she didn't do it. And at this exact same time of my life, one of my best friends calls me and she said, Heather, you're not going to believe it. And I was like, what? And she's like, I just got hired by NASA. And I was like, wow, that is great. I am so, that is (laughs) wonderful. And I'm choking on the words and I was happy for her, but I was also so sad for myself. And I just had this moment where I just had to say, Heather, it's not your turn, but it's hers. And how you respond in this moment really says a lot about who you really actually are. And so I just, for the next, I I would just repeat that to myself during various situations. It's not your turn and that's okay. And I think in some ways it helped me to believe that my turn would still come, Mm. that this wasn't a destination. It was a season and it not being your turn right now doesn't mean that it's never going to be your turn. Hmm. Uh, I think one thing that was hard for me to read and digest it, it, it's almost it's almost like a bad word now. When you talk about patience, you actually say patience is a coffin. But what if patience is also necessary? So talk a little bit more about patience. You know, I think one of the best things for me personally, I was just talking about this with a friend before I got on this call, that I've learned is to slow down. Hmm. And my mentor, I say this in the book, my mentor said this to me once. He said, Heather, what if you'll get to where you're going faster if you slow down? Hmm. And that concept at the time didn't make any sense to me. I was like, what the heck are you talking about? And now I realize when I do things out of like wholeness rather than desperation, (laughs) because I think I used to live life thinking if I miss this interview or I miss this speaking engagement, or I don't write this article, I'm not going to get the, it'll never be my turn, right? Like this could be the thing that tips my life. And so everything I did was almost out of like this desperation of trying to force the universe to do what I needed it to do. And I've just come to a place in the, especially I think COVID, COVID really slowed me down where I realized it's okay to say no. 
Mm. And in fact, I think it makes me a healthier person when I do say yes, to Mm. show up as a whole person, not a burned out, angry, bitter, like exhausted person, but to just show up and say, I'm going to do this one thing as if it's the most important thing I'll ever do. And patience is what has taught me that because I had to realize that I don't have to keep running, right? Like there are seasons where it's okay to walk as long as we keep moving forward. I used to think that if it's not outwardly visible or inwardly visible, Mm. that there's something wrong or I've messed up or God has passed me over. And then you go through scripture and you just read over and over stories of people who had to, Joseph literally gets put in a pit Mm. and not by, and it wasn't his fault, right? Mm. Joseph ends up in a pit and it's not because he did something wrong. And in some ways I think, I don't know who to pin this blame on, but it's in some ways, I think the church taught me that if I end up in a pit, it's because I've done something wrong and Mm. I have lost God's favor. And so it's been very helpful for me to go through scripture myself and see, oh, that's not true. Like we live in a fallen world and bad things happen and it's not my fault. Joseph is in a pit and he's no less anointed in the pit than in the palace. I think the anointing is with him in the pit. Right, right, right. And and, and I think it's interesting because you also talk about how Jesus He waits 30 years to preach one sermon. What does that tell us? Hmm. I I literally, just this morning, I was telling my husband, I was like, isn't it crazy? If anybody had like a a place to be, Mm -hmm. we would think it was Jesus. And he spends however many years, at least 30, right? As a carpenter. Hmm. And that alone, I think, tells us all we need to know. The fact that Jesus would have, and I say this in the book, the fact that Jesus has to die as a man, but yet shows up as a baby, tells us all we need to know Hmm. about a God of process and time and patience. Jesus, God, had to learn how to crawl Hmm. and then had to learn how to walk and then eventually ran. Does that To me, that's like, it gives me goosebumps to even think about. (laughs) How dare I ever think that I can skip through some season? You talked about a University of Minnesota article talking about fear can weaken our immune system. Oh, that was so good. Yeah. Yeah, that was so good. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. So as I was looking into this, I was just seeing how fear can have us, just emotions in general can have us making illogical decisions. Hmm. Right. And often what happens with fear is we go back to whatever our previous patterns were. And maybe that's to run or maybe that that fear reminds us of some type of trigger of our childhood. And so then we go back to these places that we've actually already progressed through. And so just the importance of stepping back outside of our emotions and really assessing what's happening. My mentor, um, he always says, Heather, if all the devil has to do to hurt your feelings or all the devil has to do to get you to quit is to hurt your feelings hmm. and you'll always quit. Hmm. And so at some point you have to make decisions, not based on how you feel. That doesn't mean we can't like take in our feelings. I'm not saying shut up feelings. I'm not saying we don't take them in, but they can't be the motivator for all of our decisions. Hmm. Right. I, and so, I, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I, I, was, I was just thinking, I, I thought, I think, think it's ironic because uh, just to, this is such a rabbit trail, but uh, I started following you on Twitter and that's how I found out about your book and that's how I contacted your publisher. And I think if there's one place where you should be afraid to post anything, it's Twitter. <laughs> right? <laughs> Are you the, afraid to post things? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But is, you know what? In some ways it's just wisdom. Hmm. Right. We can't yeah. be pa- casting our pearls just anywhere. And yeah, you have to always read the room. I love Twitter. Hmm. For the purpose of it giving me this really good pulse on 
culture. Mm-hmm. I think it's really helped me under, and of course the world is not Twitter. So yeah. there's that too. There's like these twofold things where things on Twitter that you, you could say and just get like maligned for, but mm-hmm. in the actual world, this is where people actually are. Right. But <laughs> Twitter is all like people yeah. that are so far a different way. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And I think, and I did want to say, I wanted to mention this to you that I think the, um, the positivity and just the, your spiritual angles that you share on Twitter, I think are so, you just think of a place where people need to know that, that good, mm. the, the good news. So keep doing that. Don't, and I, that's, I, that's why I just started thinking as you're talking about fear and everything like that, how that could be something where you say, I, I shouldn't do this anymore. Let me tell you too, my friend, Isa Macaulay, he gave really good advice one time and he said, be very careful because the way you get followers is the way you have to keep them. Hmm. And so everybody knows going back to emotions, right? In a book called contagious, he talks about how, what makes things go viral. And one of them is anger. Hmm. We are anger makes us reactive and it's really easy to say, what do people call them? Right. Uh, hot take. It's really mm-hmm. easy to toss a hot take out there, make everybody angry, get a ton of hits and likes. Hmm. But then what happens is you have to keep them. Hmm. And so I'm suddenly spiraling into these negative spaces. And I, I know you can probably think of somebody right now. I can think of a handful of people that every time they come up on my feed, it's always to say something that's going to get such a strong visceral reaction. And I just mm. think, wow, that seems like a really dangerous place to live your life and an unhealthy place to live your life. So why not? Like, right. I, I want <laughs> to focus on positive, healthy things that make me feel better because the way you get an audience is the way you'll keep them. So be very careful about the things that we put out. I, I think um, let's just jump right into this then. Speaking of that and, and thinking about anger, I thought it was really interesting where you talked about the research of, how people see God. I mean, oh. mind blowing, right? Yeah. And, and how most of most, uh, I don't remember, was it evangelicals or everyone that just most of them see God as an angry God? 72% of Christians mm. see God as angry, critical, judgmental, and distant. Mm. And that's from the book, Words Change the Brain. 72% of Christians see God as angry, critical, judgment. And he, I don't even know if I talk about this in the book. Maybe I do, but here's really why this is so important. The God you believe in is the God you become. Hmm. So when I believe in a God that's angry, judgmental, critical, and distant, I also start to take on those character traits. Hmm. But if God is love and joy and peace and faithfulness and, and kindness, then I'll take on those traits. And so I actually personally, for my own ministry, my own life, my own walk, I think it's incredibly important to correct the character of God hmm. for other people because it, it translates to how they live out their own faith. This matters. Like we, people, you know, and I, I'll get flack for this where people are like, I think they think that if I say God is love and that's a very important characteristic of God to me. Mm-hmm. And I think people think that that's me being like a liberal or like flimsy or I don't know, but I don't, to me, that's a really heavy characteristic to carry that because what, what do I do with that? It's really easy that God is love for me, but it's very mm. difficult when God is love for you, right? When God is love for the same people that are trolling me or sending letters to my husband's church, mm. I, have to, I have to take that all in as I respond and choose the words that I'm going to say back to somebody, mm. right? Like everybody has dignity in Christ. And I don't think that that's, I just don't see that as being like this weak God. I feel like that is a very heavy way to view God and to actually live out in your own life. Yeah. You talk about that, you know, loving your enemies. What does that look like? 
What does that look like? What? Yeah. And, and who is actually willing to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have it all figured out, mm-hmm. but I know that I am, I, I just know that I am separating myself from God when I am not connected to my fellow man. And that's the mm-hmm. 10 commandments, literally the 10 commandments. The first four are love God. The last six are love man. Mm-hmm. That's the covenant of scripture, love God, love humanity. And so it's not, we have, that's not like a, Hey, maybe if you feel like it, I really, that is the covenant of Christianity and people of faith is to fully surrender our lives to God and to fully live in service to one another. And to me, that's, again, this is my issue sometimes with Christians is it's like, this is attractive. Hmm. I don't like when we make it seem like, oh, well, the reason people are leaving church is just because they're not holy. Like, I don't know if that's true, because all I know is when I treat people with love and respect and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and loyalty, they're attracted to it. Hmm. Right. Everybody's looking for peace. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. That's not like just this Christian buzzword. Hum- we are looking for spaces to feel like we belong. And as Christians, we get to represent that to the world. And we've got to start taking that job really seriously, I think. I agree. I, I think uh, one thing that really uh, stuck with me, too, is when you talked about um, just the, the five second rule and, and how often we have that thought and then it just goes away. If you want to just uh, dig, dig into that a little bit. Yeah. More. So that's not me. That's Mel Robbins. But it's a book I read this year. Um, and the, essentially, she had this idea where the five second rule that if when she wanted to get out of the bed in the morning, she would count down five, four, three, two, one, and just force herself to get up. And she realized that she could do anything if she did them within five seconds. And then if you read her book, she goes through all of the cognitive research that actually backs up why the five second rule, which sounds really stupid. But like, if you want to send the text to that guy or girl that you have your eye on, you have five seconds to do that Mm. before your brain kills it. She says, before you'll come up with an excuse as to why you shouldn't, if you want to talk to your boss about an idea or an initiative that you want to enact at work, you have five seconds to do some type of action that will allow you to take that step forward. And if you don't do it, your brain is going to give you tons of reasons as to why you shouldn't something that, and I talk about this in the book, that's really fascinating is we actually live in our brains operate in negative thinking patterns. Hmm. And I don't think that we realize that at least I didn't until doing a lot of this research, I didn't realize that we operate in the negative and I have to train myself to be positive, that it's not like the natural thing for my brain because my brain is constantly looking to seek out threats and to make sure that I stay healthy and happy and safe. And so it's always pointing out to me all the things I do wrong, right? Or all Mm -hmm. the places that I'm not safe. So we'll look over the hundred people who say something nice to me about my book and I'll focus on the one person who said something negative, right? My Mm -hmm. brain always holds out for that one negative comment. So you have to train yourself to respond to negative comments and to respond to negative thinking with positivity. Uh, Let's go here. I I love this because I've said this before. I'm guilty of it as a radio Christian radio DJ too. uh, You know, it's so cliche. God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. But you say you go a little deeper. You say you believe that, but you say that from your own experience um, that God's going to allow you to practice what he's about to make perfect. So what does that mean? I believe that God will give you a sandbox to make a mistake where people don't see it, Hmm. but it's for you to grow. And so in my own experience, if you want to know where you're going, look back and Hmm. look at the sandboxes that God has given you. 
And for me, there, I mean, writing was always this sandbox that just went from small to bigger to bigger to bigger that he gave me. And there's what uh, I hate when I don't know the exact chapter and verse, but there's a scripture that says, if you can't run with um, men, what makes you think you can run with horses? Hmm. Right. Like we have to practice in spaces before he can bring us to bigger spaces. Hmm. And that is for your benefit. Right. That is so we don't make a fool of ourselves in the wrong arena. So enjoy and take in the spaces that he gives you to practice this thing. I love what you talked about that you read your Bible now so much and what you've learned from that. And it's such a I just think it's such a great discipline that the thing that you it was kind of surprising. You're talking about how the more you read your Bible, what is it making you do? What what, what is it transforming inside you? Scripture is the hill I'll die on. Mm-hmm. Um, I am. I absolutely believe. I think it's like fifteen percent of Christians read their Bible daily, mm-hmm. and we have got to change that. Mm-hmm. Scripture is what changed my life. We all of us are like, I just want God to speak to me, <laughs> and then we're not. We're not reading the literal word of God. So I read a quote by J.I. Packer, and this is when I was a, at a Christian summer camp. I was probably like 19 years old. Um, and it said, any Christian worth his salt will read the Bible cover to cover every single year. Hmm. And that really struck me because at that point in my life, I, I had grown up in the church. My dad was a pastor. I was working at a Christian summer camp, and I had never read the Bible cover to cover for myself. And I just had this moment where I was like, I need to do that. I need to, you know, I've, I've always read the Bible. I would, I would do, you know, you open it up in the morning. You're like, Lord, lead me to what you want me to read. And I'd read that passage for the day. And that was it. And I just, after that moment, I started saying, no, I want to, I'm going to read this cover to cover. I want to know what it says for myself. And I'll tell you, there are so many things, time one, time two, time three, time four, Things change for me time five, time six, time seven. I'm on my 11th time through. Hmm. Now the symbolism of God, it will give me goosebumps. Hmm. Like when I see how various things connect to each other, let's just even like just looking at numbers, right? Hmm. I would have never noticed on the first time through that numbers have have scriptural significance. Hmm. Right. So it's, it's the one you skip through. Yeah. 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 You know what I mean? But now, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, actual numbers. Oh, oh okay. Right? Okay. Like Not just the, the book. fact. Yeah. yeah. No, <laughs> the fact that Goliath taunts Israel for 40 days didn't mean anything to me. I thought, mm. oh, he can't taunt them for 40 days. But then you start to see this pattern, right? That mm. every time you see the number 40 in scripture, it's actually a testing of their faith. And so as I go through my own life and my own seasons, I tend to write these things down because I'll think, oh, I've been in this place forever. I haven't been in this place forever. When I write it in my prayer journal, I'm like, no, this has been 30 days, hmm. right? A testing of my faith is 40. Let me hang in there for 10 more days and just see what happens. Like <laughs> there's, there's so much sim- symbolism in scripture that makes it so much better in my own life because then I can apply it to what I'm going through. Uh, talking about it's your turn to network. And this is again, how I mentioned earlier, why I just automatically thought I need to text that person Yes, that was on my heart. Talk a little bit more about how to, you know, how to effectively network. And, you know, and I feel badly because I come to this one from a place of privilege and I recognize that I'm an extrovert. So Mm -hmm. it's really easy for me to put myself out there. And I actually 
don't mind rejection all that much. So if somebody doesn't like me, I'm like, that's fine. Somebody else will. Right. So it's easy for me to put myself out there. I want to be sensitive to people who are introverts and you, I mean, it is so hard for some people. I'm just thinking of my husband. It is so hard for him to be vulnerable in front of somebody. And for him, even sending a text and saying like, Hey, thought of you, that would be a vulnerable move for him. Hmm. Right. Whereas for me, it's just like, I can send it to five people and not think about it. So how do we work past that? And I, I just think the, there's this book that I read. I think it was Talking with Strangers. Um, in, and they say the answer that you're looking for is probably in some, the hands of somebody that you know. Hmm. And for me, that was like, whoa, that makes so much sense. Because how many times do you know about maybe somebody who's looking for a partner? Hmm. And somebody else is also looking, I, I'm a matchmaker, so that's why I'm using this example, a romantic example, but somebody else is single and they're looking for a relationship, but in the answer is in your hands. Cause you know, both people, but they don't know each other. Mm-hmm. So if one of them doesn't ever say to you, Hey, if you ever meet somebody or somebody that makes you think of you, let me know, how do we put ourselves in that space where we can do that? And I just think it's important work that we have to start doing because the answer that you're looking for is probably in the hands of somebody, you know, we, I, I share a statistic in there about jobs. It's like more than 70% of jobs are because of somebody who knows somebody else networking. Hmm. That was crazy to me, right? We have to do it, even if it's uncomfortable. And, and speaking of uncomfortable, at the end of the book, you talk about in chapter 11, it's time, it's your turn to move on maybe. Yeah. And I love, I love that, uh, that thought and that play on words, but explain a little bit more of, of, of what that looks like moving on. Maybe what is that? I think I had this misconception for a lot of my life that if God was calling me to it, I'd have a full map hmm. and I'd know exactly where I was going. And I'd know exactly what it was going to look like. And at least for me, I have found that there's no map that God gives me one piece at a time, right? And he's Mm. like, here, be faithful to this one piece and then I'll give you another one. And if I don't do anything with that one piece, I'm not gonna get the next one, right? So even here's an example in scripture, when he shows up to the disciples, what he says to them, they'll say to him, teacher, where are you going? And he says, come and see. Mm. And for me, I was like, again, when I read scripture, it reminds me of my own life with God. I'm like, that's what I live. It's not like he ever has told me, this is where I'm taking you, Heather. This is exactly where you're going. Never has he done that for me. Maybe there's people that he has, not me, right? But what he does invite me into is something where he says, come and see Hmm. and live with me daily. And I'll reveal myself to you every single day, a little more and a little more and a little more. So I want people to get comfortable moving on the maybe. When I, this proposal for this very book, I changed the title, but before I changed the title, this proposal was rejected probably 10 times, right? There was never anybody saying, Heather, write this book. <laughs> there was never like a publisher saying, oh my goodness, you're going to be, this is going to be nothing, right? I just had this feeling that I thought was from the Holy Spirit telling me, write the book. And so I had to step forward in faith and move on maybe on that. And even what I've experienced in the first week since it's launched has been totally, I couldn't have fathomed that two years ago when I'm sitting with my agent getting rejected by every single house that we can think of. That wasn't even a possibility to be in the top 100 on new releases on Amazon. Get out of here with that, (laughs) right? And so I just want to confirm and affirm people. If I just think a lot of times when you get that stir, move, 
do something, right? Test it. And of course, if the door is like lodged shut, okay, don't do it. But if God gives you a little peace, take that peace and keep moving forward. If you ever wish that your kids came with an instruction manual, this is, I think, the next best thing. So Dr. Rhonda Spencer Huang, she lives in a city that has a lot of centenarians. They're known for this long, these people that live there, these long lives. And so she went to them and asked them, what they or their parents did right in childhood to make them so resilient to stress, disease, and the adversities of life. So the book is called Raising Resilient Kids, and she's going to be in the 30-Second Book Club podcast next week.